Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I feel directed of the Lord to preach this morning, and I would like to tell you my title today. However, I do have one request before I share my title. In a world of instant knowledge, I am asking you not to Google anything or look anything up when I give my title. And uh, this may be a subject you're familiar with, but I'm not sure I want to speak this morning on the subject, the mystery of murmuration, the mystery of murmuration. As a child, I remember driving with my parents and inevitably there would be on a telephone wire, there would be a line of birds. Has anybody ever seen that? You've experienced that. Now this may seem simple and uneventful to you, but this was something that would be noticed and admired by my dear mother. My mom loves birds and took any occasion to point out something of interest concerning birds. And so as we would pass a long line of birds on a line, lined up, my mom would say, look at those birds. And then as if this was a scientific fact, she would add, looks like they're having church. And for some reason that has stuck with me all my life. And every time I pass a telephone line with a long line of birds, I think, isn't it great? They're having church. I guess it makes sense as a kid growing up, as a pastor's kid, that was the imagery that resonated in those moments. Groups of people gathered together meant one thing in our home, and that was church. And so to see nature seemingly gathered together and imagining them having church was not far-fetched. While we do not worship nature, nor are we saved by nature, here is what I understand and I find in Scripture. Nature can teach us some things about God and His kingdom. David would pen the words, the heaven declares the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. It would be the Apostle Paul who would say, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nature reflects things of God. Jesus would tell us, and he would use nature to demonstrate important attributes about the kingdom of God. Many of the parables of Jesus uh, taught, that Jesus taught, utilized nature to teach spiritual truth. Parables that included seed and weeds and wheat and fish and trees and birds. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, therefore I say to you do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? On another occasion, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them, not one of those sparrows who are sold are forgotten by God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. In our Western modern mindset, We read scripture. When we read scripture, we read it many times through through a very individualistic lens. The glasses of our worldview are shaped to focus on us as individuals rather than on us as a collective sense. We are often drawn to individual characters in Scripture, and then we make application to ourselves individually. Certainly there is merit to that perspective. When we consider great heroes of faith like Abraham as a man of faith, and Moses for his meekness, and David for his courage, and we say, I need to be a person of faith. I need to be a more meek person or a more courageous person. And this, of course, is true, and we can glean a personal perspective from Scripture. However, it seems a little bit more rare to seek identification with groups of people in Scripture. And while we understand the the children of Israel as a whole reflects on us as a whole, we usually are drawn more towards the individual characters in Scripture as a place of inspiration and a place that guides our own life. However, I believe we will miss much of what Scripture offers if we just pass over the stories of groups of people without observing their perspective and learn to identify with their experience. And I think it would help us to understand that most individual characters in Scripture, and specifically characteristic or characters in the Old Testament that are great to us, are more accurately and specifically pictures of Christ rather than pictures of us. It would be Abraham who would more aptly reflect the story of Christ than the story of me. It would be through Abraham that blessing would come to the entire world, and Abraham would be the father of the faithful. It would be Christ who would be the father of a new covenant, and through Christ, All the nations of the world would be blessed. It would be Moses that is more a picture of Christ than a picture of me because Moses was the mediator between God and God's people. And in meekness, he delivered the children of Israel out of bondage. 
It would be Christ who would be meek and lowly and would stand in the gap for all of humanity and give humanity the opportunity to be free from the bondage of sin. It would be Joshua who reflects Christ more than Joshua reflects me. Joshua was a leader tasked with leading God's people to a land promised so that they could inherit what God had prepared for them. It was Christ who was tasked with bringing disciples to a place of promise where they could experience all that God had for them and he would give them the power of his spirit, giving them the opportunity to inherit a place of promise and an eternal promised land. It would be David who points better to Christ than to me. We've heard a lot of sermons on David, and we can make personal application to to David, but David really is a picture of Christ. David would be one man who would defeat a giant, a giant who was armed with what the Bible calls male. This wasn't like U.S. mail that is stapled on him or taped to him. Mail was a form of armory that looked like scales. So when he stood there, he looked like a giant serpent standing there. And it was... And he would face that massive serpent... And it would be David who would crush the head of the serpent with a stone and would enable the people to overcome the enemy. And it would be Christ who would save humanity and crush the one enemy that had tormented humanity since Adam and Eve, and that was the enemy, the giant of death. And Jesus crushed him with his, and crushed his head with the power of the resurrection and the power of a stone rolled away. See, these pictures point us to Christ. And I want to remind us today that while we may look like, and it may look that like that, individual connection in scriptures is pointing to us, we are actually better served when we understand the importance of we rather than I when we read scripture. It's important for us to understand the power of we and not just I in scripture And so while I'm thankful I can identify with individual characters in Scripture, it would actually be more helpful sometimes if I learn to identify with the groups of people that God identifies in Scripture. The children of Israel, a group brought out of bondage, a group who faced fear, a group who faced an uncertain environment and had to rely on Moses, the mediator. To deliver them. We too face the bondage of the taskmaster of sin. And we too face fear. And we too face relentless uncertainty. And we are hopeless without a mediator. 
And like the children of Israel, a group who faced and had the opportunity to walk into a promised land and a bright future in a new place, they had to trust in their leader, Joshua. And we too, if we are ever going to enter the place that God has for us, we too must trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus would teach us that when we pray, we don't pray individualistically. We pray with a we in mind. So he said, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Pray with others in mind. Peter would admonish the church and he would say, but you are a chosen generation. You're a group. You're a royal priesthood. You're a group. You're a holy nation. You're a group. You're his own special people. You're not his own special person. You're his own special people who may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Revelation tells us, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no sea. sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What's the imagery? A bride adorned for her husband, a city. But he's not just talking about one person who comes down and is the bride of Christ. No, he's talking about a group of people, a city that represents the bride of Christ. Because we're in this together. Don't ever let your spiritual life be an existence where it's just about you and God. You will have missed the purpose of what God wants us to be and who God wants us to be. Because we are better when we understand we were meant to be together in this life and in the life to come. We were meant to be together. And you may enjoy your personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but I want to tell you today that Jesus was not trying to create some utopia of, of individuality when he came to the cross, but Jesus, when he came to the cross, was intentional to say, say, I'm saving humanity, and I'm creating a peculiar people. From the beginning, God created humanity for relationship. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so God created us with us in mind. In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan came into the garden and he began to confuse Adam or confuse Eve, says that when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The Bible says then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Sin 
creates distance with people. Sin causes us to hide from one another. That's the object of sin, to create distance with God and distance with humanity. We talked about Cain last week who became so individualistic that he refused to even acknowledge the death of his brother by his own hands. And he said, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? I find that statement so harsh, but it's so real. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves saying the exact same thing. Who am I responsible for? Am I my brother's keeper? I submit today you and I are our brother's keepers. We're in this together. Consider those who betrayed Christ. When did it happen? How did it happen? When Jesus' disciples betrayed him, Judas betrayed him. How did he do it? He did it when he left the group. When he walked away from the group, that's when he betrayed Jesus. When did Peter betray Jesus? And I would argue that Peter's betrayal of Jesus was actually probably worse than Judas's betrayal. But when did he do it? When they scattered. When they were out by themselves. He was pulled from the disciples. And that's when he betrayed Jesus What do we see Jesus doing in this moment when after he is resurrected from the grave, Jesus says, I want to restore Peter. And so how is he going to restore Peter? So a group of people gather at the tomb. They're looking for Jesus. They're going to anoint him. In Mark chapter 16, it says they entered the tomb. They saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were scared. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid. He says what you expected or what what Christ came to do, he did. He rose from the grave. But he says, but go tell the disciples and Peter. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm going to restore Peter, and how am I going to do it? I'm going to bring him back into fellowship with the disciples. I'm going to bring him back together with the rest of the disciples. Peter would have never been able to preach that message on the day of Pentecost had he not been reconciled and connected to the disciples. And the scripture is replete with pictures describing us as the church, as the body, as the family. And I want to reiterate that today in a world that is so scattered and disconnected and broken. I am telling the Calvary Church today, we have got to stay together. We have got to stay united. We have got to be a body, a family. The distance, the disconnection that we face is so unlike anything we've ever experienced. We were not built this way. We were not made to be distant from each other like this. And I feel compelled to preach to our church, to remind our church that while 
physically right now we are being a little bit more careful and we're being a little bit more distant. I'm encouraging you to think about those around you, to be mindful of those in your life. We are our brother's keeper. And I believe God gives us a natural picture of the power of unity. And it's found in the mystery of murmuration. It's common. It's uninteresting. They're practically everywhere. More than 200 million of these little birds, starlings, are in North America singing their chirpy little songs. We hear them, we pass them, we see them. We don't take much notice of them. We take notice of some great birds. There's a couple eagles, bald eagles that live on Bypass 4. If you've never seen them, they're amazing. We take notice of those birds, but the little starlings on the poles, telephone poles, we don't take much notice of. Because they're just ordinary birds. There's nothing fancy or remarkable about them individually. Collectively, though, collectively, starlings transform into something else entirely. Together in flight, in mesmerizing flight that sometimes numbers in the hundreds of thousands, they are a breath-stealing wonder. Pulsating, swooping, living, harmonized whole, seemingly defying the laws of nature while defining nature itself. Individually, they don't stand out, nor are they really admired. However, put them together, and they are a scientific marvel as they achieve the mystery of murmuration. Murmuration refers to the phenomena that results when hundreds of thousands of these starlings fly in swooping, intricately coordinated patterns through the sky. Scientists do not fully understand how they are able to create murmuration. They fly mere inches from each other at high speeds, moving as if they are one, responding to uncertain environments, but moving in harmony. A few years ago, Dr. George F. Young and his colleagues investigated starlings, and he tried to understand the mystery of murmuration. And he noted, and, and I quote, that starlings' remarkable ability, has a, the starlings have a remarkable ability to maintain cohesion as a group in highly uncertain environments and with limited, noisy information. Starlings have the ability to maintain cohesion as a group in highly uncertain environments and with limited, noisy information. Highly uncertain environments, limited, noisy information. They are synchronized across the sky, changing directions. And I think this is a description of the church. The church has a remarkable ability to maintain cohesion as a group in a highly uncertain environment 
and with limited, noisy information. They say that these birds do this mainly to protect themselves, to be able to not just stand alone as one bird and so a falcon can come and pick them off. But when a falcon sees that large formation, they are less likely to move in to try to get them. There's something powerful that we understand in nature about unity. And I want to just remind the Calvary Church today that while we feel like we're in an uncertain environment, and we are, and we've got a lot of information going around us, that we were meant to be a cohesive group. A group that is connected. A group that loves one another Regardless, I've never been more certain than now that we need each other. As I preached on Friends Day in 2019, we are not created to be alone. You see, sin alienates, sin destroys, sin separates, sin divorces, sin kills, sin hates. But you, you and I are brought together. We're united in Christ. Paul said, for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And we can read that and we understand how powerful that is in an individual sense. That our sins are forgiven. But that wasn't the essence of what Christ was trying to do in baptism just for you to receive forgiveness of sins. He was creating something. Creating something bigger. Creating something better. And so Paul said, after he said, you've put on Christ, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you are one, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We were created for relationship. We were created to be in relationship to a creator and to be in a relationship with one another. That's why Jesus... When he was questioned about the law, so many laws, so many laws, Jesus said the first of all commandments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like, is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as your Self. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let that sink in for just a moment. God could tell you anything. He would tell you to love your neighbor as yourself. As if they were connected to you. You see those starlings when they fly in the sky... Scientists try to figure out, how did that happen? How can they do that? 
their best guess is, is that they are paying attention to their neighbor. That's how they're doing it. That's how they stay united, because they're paying attention. They say it's six to seven, most likely. They're paying attention to six to seven of their closest neighbors. And that's how unity is accomplished. And that's the mystery of murmuration. I am saddened by the division in our world. I am heartbroken to see how polarized we can be. As I mentioned last week, hate and evil are ever-present. COVID has challenged humanity in ways nothing else has. We are separated and isolated and distant. This is not how we were created to be. This unrest and the saddening and maddening hatred and prejudice that exists is devastating. The church however, was created to fly in the midst of uncertainty. To fly in cohesion in the midst of uncertainty. To be united and connected and unified. You see, when you look at the infilling of the Spirit in Scripture and history, you will find that the Spirit unifies It would be the book of Acts that the Spirit of God brought people together who normally would have never been connected. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and masters, men, and women. Because the Spirit of God is on the earth to unify and reconcile people to God and each other. When the Spirit of God was poured out in America... In the early 1900s, the Spirit grew people, or drew people, from all walks of life. This is only 40 years, 40 years after the abolishment of slavery. And in areas that were still racially divided, the Spirit fell. And the Spirit unified people. Brought people together. So they could experience the power of God and the true power of love. Because that is what the Spirit does. And I have a simple word from God for the Calvary Church today. Do not let this world divide us. Do not let this world divide us. Do not let COVID divide us. Don't let social unrest divide us. And let me say, don't let a presidential election divide us. We were made to be together. We may have our opinions. We may have our thoughts. But I'm telling you, we were meant to fly together. We were meant to walk together, to be led of the Spirit. Oh, God, help us. Help us not to let the spirit of this age infect this church. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Oh, God, help us. 
I pray and I pray. I've been praying earnestly over these last couple weeks. If there's anything in me that is not like God, let it be burned in my heart. Let it be dissolved in me. Because the most important thing that you and I will do is stay connected as a body. We are in a season that is so ripe for disconnection. We are in a season that is so ripe for division. And I'm praying to God that he would allow us to find a unity that the world is clamoring for. But the church has the ability because the church is not led by individuals. It's led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is a unifier. Oh, hallelujah. And so David penned these words. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good, how pleasant. Talked about goodness last week. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. What was the blessing? It was life forevermore with each other. That was the blessing. And I pray that unity would run down the steeple of the Calvary Church. I pray that unity would run down into the streets and into the hills and into the villages of Cincinnati. But it's not going to be a human, human unity. It's going to be the Spirit of God that's moving us. Spirit of God that's moving us. Because unity, real unity comes from above. Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it lists, wherever it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Because we're in this together. We're going where the Spirit wants us to go. We're, we're leading and we're doing what the Spirit wants us to do. And I pray to God that we would understand the mystery of murmuration. God has a work for us to do, not just a work for you to do or I to do. God has a work for us collectively to do. And we need every race, we need every language, we need every social status, we need every walk of life to be represented in this church so there can be freedom in the spirit to move in this city. Oh, hallelujah, would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for us today. I want to pray for us today that God would allow us, allow us to understand the power that's found in unity and that we would take on the task. I, I encourage you today to take on this task that you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. Those sitting around you, those who aren't here today, they matter to God. 
they should matter to us. Because the more that we stay together, the more that God can accomplish through us. I want to pray for you today. God, here we are. God, in such a distant environment. It's unnatural. Especially for those of us who have grown up in church. God, everything that is happening around us is just so unnatural. And God, I I pray that it would remain unnatural for us. That we wouldn't be comfortable being distant from one another. We wouldn't be comfortable not worrying about each other. But Lord, we would have this sense about us that you have brought us together for such a time as this. That never has the church needed to be unified more than in this hour. How does the world know the love of God? It knows the love of God through the love that the disciples have for one another. God, teach us to love one another. If there is anything in us that is not like you, if there is anything in us that separates us from each other, if there is anything in us that's man-made, that has covered us from keeping us and keeps us distant from one another, Lord, I pray you would dissolve it today. Open our hearts, and I pray as David pray, cleanse me of secret faults. God, if there are biases in me or prejudice in me, if there's anything in me that is contrary to your love and your grace for the entire world, I pray, I pray, oh God, you would burn it up in my heart. God, let this church be a reflection of your goodness and your glory. Let it be a reflection of your love and your power. Oh God, help us to love one another. Help us to see each other as brothers. Oh God, and sisters, as family, as a body. I can't do, and I don't want to do without my arm, Lord. I don't want to do, Lord, without my leg. God, and I pray we would not become content to just do without certain people or certain sex or certain elements. Lord, God, I pray. I pray, oh God, a prayer of repentance for our city. I pray a prayer of repentance for our nation. God, I pray. God, a prayer of repentance for the Calvary Church. Lord, if there's anything in us that is not like you, oh God, thank you, God, for showing us what real love looks like. Because while we were yet sinners, Lord, while we were so distant from you, you kept reaching, you kept loving. Because you had a nation in mind. You had a people in mind. You had a priesthood in mind. You had a generation in mind. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, 
or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.